0: Good morning, ACF Church. Can we celebrate being together this morning? Uh, My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. and I'm so excited to be with you today. It is Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, as a lifelong diehard Seahawks fan, all I can say is I hope the 49ers lose. I don't care who wins. Come on. Come on. I don't care who wins. I just know who I want to lose, and that is the 49ers. I think think what's going to happen, though, is the 49ers are going to be up at halftime. Taylor Swift's gonna enter the building, walk into that locker room of the Chiefs, give that halftime speech, and catch the game-winning touchdown herself. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be a fun day today. Man, welcome, welcome to church, welcome to ACF. If you're a guest of ours this morning, we're so grateful that you are here with us today. If you're watching online with us, we want you to know this: you are part of our family, and we love you, and we're so grateful that you are watching and with us today. Well, like, Pastor Cody said we are finishing up a series that we've been walking through for the last six weeks called The Deeper Life Through Identity. And what we've been doing is we've been walking through the book of Ephesians. And it's just chapter by chapter looking at what Paul says about who we are in our identity in Christ. If you're not familiar, the book of Ephesians is this letter that was written to the church in Ephesus and it's brilliantly written, and it's six chapters long, and the first half of the letter is all about what Christ has done for those who are in him, for his people. And, and he uses these kind of were- are statements throughout the book like he says you were far from God now you are near to God because of Jesus you were enemies of God now you are at peace with God because of the work of Jesus you were strangers to God you are now citizens of the kingdom of God because of the work of Jesus so he builds this amazing case explaining who we are in Christ because of the work of Jesus. And that's the first kind of three chapters. And then the second half of the book of Ephesians is all about how do we live our lives now according to the truth that we are in Christ. And so that's what the book of Ephesians is about, and today we're wrapping it up in chapter six, kind of finishing off this letter. And Honestly, chapter 6 is probably the most famous passage of Ephesians, mostly well-known for the fact that it is where we get the armor of God from. This is the armor of God passage. And so it's a very famous passage, and we're going to read through this section known as the armor of God today. And if you've grown up in the church at all, if you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard the armor of God taught before. If you grew up in Sunday school, you, you probably made like, I don't know, like paper like armor before and put it on, and you learned that this is that, and this is what the helmet is, and this is what the breastplate is. And, and you've been around the church a while, you've probably heard this before. But maybe you're new today. Maybe today's your first time. Maybe you haven't been around the church before. Maybe you're watching online right now, and you're like, man, I've, I've never been around church. I don't know what the armor of God is. First of all, can I just say, I take the, uh, the, the opportunity that I get to be the first one to teach you about this very seriously. Like, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to do that. And, and two, I, I hope that what you hear today is, what I hope you hear today is the fact that, man, you, if you've said yes to Jesus, you are deeply loved by him. And that, that, but there's a battle that goes on to even remind ourselves that we're deeply loved by Jesus. In fact, in this book of Ephesians, Paul, he, he's writing, like I said, and in, right in the middle of it, right at the end of chapter three, it's six chapters long. The, at the end of chapter three, he's like, Look, I got to stop for a minute. I'm going to stop teaching and I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray for you, church. And, and you could, if Paul was alive today, he would be praying the same prayer for us. And what he prays is, "Uh, church, I hope that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is my prayer for you, church. I pray that you would be powered, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Empowered to do what? Empowered to teach the gospel? No. Empowered to overcome my sin? No, that's not what he's talking about, in this chapter at least, in this prayer. He says, I pray that you would be empowered to understand exactly how much God loves you. He's like, God's love is so massive for you, it is so great, it is so deep, it is so wide, it is so expansive that you cannot even begin to understand how much God loves you unless you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. And then when you understand how much God loves you, you will become rooted and grounded in his love, which is where our identity is to come from. And so we're going to read through Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. If you've heard this before, I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to close your eyes and just listen to this as if you're hearing it for the first time. You're you're welcome to read on the screen behind me. The passage will be behind you reading your Bibles. But here we go. Ephesians six, verse ten. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness It it dawned on me. In fact, I was just talking to someone about this in the green room upstairs. I was like, man, I've never seen this before, but we just read through what is known as the armor of God, and and Paul starts saying, he's like, look, take on truth, take on righteousness, take on peace, take on faith, take on salvation, take on the Spirit. All of this stuff that Paul is telling us to take on is everything he's been talking about throughout the book of Ephesians. Throughout the book of Ephesians, he said, look, it's by faith you have been saved through grace, this faith and salvation. He talks about being at peace with God. All of these things he's been trying to teach us about what Jesus has done for us and now who we are in Christ. He puts it all together at the very end of this letter, and he's like, look, put this stuff on. This is your armor against the attacks of the enemy. And I was was kind of thinking about this. I was like, man, Understanding who we are in Christ is essential to the life of the believer. It is essential to the life of the believer. In fact, while we're in this smaller series called The Deeper Life Through Identity, really we're in this very long series over this next year talking about the deeper life in Christ. About what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That being a follower of Jesus does not mean that we're just living life to get by. That there's more to life than just living for the weekend. Right, That there's something far greater for this life for us, and we call it the deeper life. In fact, in John 10, 10, Jesus says, look, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, abundant life. And that is the life of the believer, is a life of abundance through Jesus. But that cannot happen if we don't know who we are in Christ. That it must start with our identity being in Jesus, but it's so hard to have our identity in Jesus if we're honest. Like, I don't know about you, but I wake up all the time, or I go about my day, and I live my life, and I don't put my identity in Jesus. I put my identity in what I do. I put my identity in what others say who I am, and I forget to keep my identity in Jesus because it's a battle, and if you've ever experienced that before, you know it's a battle to keep your identity in Jesus, and so that's why Paul talks about this armor. Now, as we're talking about Ephesians chapter 6, I was really just praying about, God, what do you have for us today out of this? So many people have heard this so many times. In fact, the truth is, about six weeks ago, I talked about Ephesians chapter 6 in my message. And I was like, oh man, I got Ephesians 6 again. And I was telling Brian that. He's like, hey, don't worry about it. No one remembers what you said six weeks ago. It's fine. No, No one remembers. It'll be like, it'll be, just teach the same message. It'll be like they hadn't heard before. But I was really praying about what God had for me. And this word came to my mind this word came to my mind, and so I want to ask you, I want to start by asking you this question. Have you ever purchased something that was counterfeit before? Have you ever, have you ever bought the knockoff brand of something? I don't mean like the knockoff brand, like the lower shelf of the cereal, and then you have the upper shelf of the cereal, like it's the same cereal, and one's in a box and one's in a bag, right? I'm not, not talking about, but have you ever bought something that was a knockoff version of something, counterfeit version? I remember when I was first married, I was or my wife and I, we were dirt poor. I don't know if you've been there before. Dirt poor, newly married, and it was Christmas time, and I really wanted to buy my wife this Abercrombie & Fitch jacket. Now, Abercrombie & Fitch, if you know, you know, right? <laughs> like Everyone under 35 has no idea what I'm talking about. Let's just tell you this. They were the original just charge way too much money for something just because they can Right, it was like the first time I'd ever seen a sh- T-shirt for sixty-five dollars. Like what? Right, they paved the way for Lululemon. Right, they were the original. But there was this jacket I wanted to get my wife. It was like a two-hundred-dollar jacket. Could not afford it, but I wanted to get it to her. For, uh, I wanted to get it for her for Christmas so bad. So I'm like scouring the internet, and I get I find myself on eBay, and this is like early years of eBay. It was the wild, wild west of like bidding on things. And so I find this jacket. I can get her this $200 jacket for like $45. I'm like, yes, this can't go wrong. And so I buy the jacket. It it comes in the mail, and I I open it up to to wrap it up for her. And um, there were some issues with the jacket, let's just say that. First of all, I'm pretty positive Abercrombie was spelled wrong on it. And then when you zipped it up, like the letters that, that didn't match, you know, it was like coming like this, and and what I really remember was this jacket, it was a white jacket, came down to the hip, and it has this big hood on it with this like faux fur, this really pretty fox fur, and the fur was like this, it was supposed to be like red and brown, it was this hue of green, right? It was like this tint of green, looked like it was moldy, and um, I clearly had purchased the counterfeit to that, but I felt like this word counterfeit came to mind, when I was studying this and I felt like God was just speaking to my heart and said, the reason you struggle to keep your identity in me and the reason it feels like you just continue to lose these battles because you're wearing counterfeit armor. And you cannot go into battle with counterfeit armor and think that you're going to be okay. It would literally be like a new police officer who's, who, who just gets on the force and like, I got to get myself a bulletproof Kevlar vest it's like, what, $1,500, $2,000 for one, but I just saw this Facebook ad for $89.99, and they say it's as good as the original. I think I'm going to do that. That's what it's like when we go into battle with the counterfeit armor, and so what I, what I feel like I want to do now, where God was leading me, is just to, we're going to walk through piece by piece of the armor of God and go, where's the counterfeit and what is the real? So here we go. We're going to start with the belt of truth. See, truth, the belt, is what holds all the armor together. Like, it keeps everything in place, and the truth of the gospel is what we build everything upon. Everything that we believe comes uh, and is built on the truth of the gospel. And in John, Jesus says, what, I am the way, I am the truth. Jesus is the truth. Everything that we do is built upon Jesus. But there's a counterfeit to the truth. See, counterfeit is not the opposite of. We can spot the opposite of pretty easy. Counterfeit is something that looks so close to the real, but it's not. And I believe the counterfeit to the belt of truth is the belt of feelings. Our feelings are what we determine to be true, right? I feel this way, therefore it must be true. I feel like God doesn't forgive me, therefore he doesn't forgive me. I feel like my sin was too much for the cross, and so therefore I can't be forgiven. I feel like no one in the church really cares about me. I feel like I show up and I don't feel God's presence, therefore God's presence isn't there, right? And we allow our feelings to dictate what we believe to be true, even though it is not true. And, and in Jeremiah, he says, look, what is, the, the heart is more wicked above anything. Who could possibly understand it? Like, we allow our feelings to... We go into battle with our, with, uh, we go into war and we go into battle with this foundation built on our feelings of how we feel about the day. And our feelings change all the time. Our feelings are not truth. You can feel something about yourself or feel something about somebody else or feel something about God that is absolutely not true and yet we will build our life upon that feeling. And so the belt of feelings is the counterfeit. So how do we exchange the counterfeit for the authentic belt of truth? In John 8, Jesus says this. He says, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. Say it with me. And the truth will set you free. So how do we walk into freedom? How do we become Jesus' disciples? Hold on to Jesus' teachings. Know what Jesus actually said. Not what you think he said. Not what you saw a meme say he said. But what he actually said, and to do that, you must be in the Word of God. And you don't have to be a scholar. Hear me, church. You do not have to be a scholar. You do not have to have multiple degrees behind your name. In fact, Jesus says, look, the the kingdom, the good news, it's foolishness to the wise. It's, it's, It's those who just come with their faith to receive that. It's the Holy Spirit who actually teaches that to you. And so you can be in the Word of God and read the Word of God and read Jesus' teachings and hold on to those teachings and know that that is the truth. Next, we jump into the breastplate of righteousness. And what is righteousness, right? What is righteousness? It's, it's a very churchy word. It's not a word you really use outside the church, right? Like I've never been, you know, at the DMV and someone talking about righteousness or, you know, at school or at you know, at Fred Meyer, just walking around, and two people are having a conversation about righteousness. It's a very churchy word. But it, it simply means to be right before God. See, God has this perfect standard. He is the author. He is the designer of reality, and he has this perfected standard that he wants all of us to live by. He, he really does. And yet, here's the catch. We can't live by this standard. It's impossible because of sin in our lives. And so, what do we do? Like, literally, by not living to this standard that God has set, and the standard is simply himself, first of all. God is holy. It's a holy standard. He doesn't just arbitrarily come up with the standard. It's his literal character is the standard. And so, but what do we do if we can't live the standard? Well, there's a penalty for not living the standard, and that penalty is death. It's, it's what we deserve. And literally... If you think that you could live the standard of righteousness, or maybe you think someone else, like, man, I'm not righteous, but I know that person is righteous. I, I love what the scripture says in, in Romans 3. Paul writes, and he says, none is righteous, no, not one. So there's nobody righteous on the earth. And so, well, how does that work then? How, how do we have righteousness? How do we not deserve death? It is that one person named Jesus lived that standard to perfection absolutely lived the character of God because he was God. He came to earth in the flesh and he lived this standard perfectly and now because of that, he puts that on us. When we receive him in our life, when we submit our lives to him, that perfect standard now is just set upon you. And that's it. It's a, it literally a free gift. There's nothing you can do about it. So that is what righteousness is. But hear me out. This counterfeit of righteousness, the counterfeit to the breastplate of righteousness, I think is one of the scariest counterfeits because it is so hard to tell it apart from the real. Like some, some things, is, it's not the Abercrombie and Fitch type of counterfeit where you look at it and you're like, you yeah, know, that ain't real. But this is the type of counterfeit that like where the government agencies have agencies upon agencies to stop this kind of counterfeit from happening. And this is the counterfeit, I think, that we fall into and and we exchange it for, is the counterfeit of self-righteousness. The breastplate of self-righteousness. And self-righteousness and righteousness can look so close to each other. Because when we receive the righteousness of Jesus upon our lives, it causes us to go and live for God in certain ways. Because of what Jesus did, I now live this way. But what self-righteousness does, it says, I live this way so I can receive what Jesus has done. You see, th- there's, there's a difference there, but it's an important difference. I'm going to live this out. I'm going to live this righteousness out, and, and you can't do it. It's like the rich young ruler, this, this, this young man who's very wealthy, comes to Jesus, and he's like, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, like, follow the law. And, Jesus, and the rich young ruler says, done it. Followed it since I was a youth to perfection. No, he hadn't but he he was trying to live his life to earn eternal life and that is not righteousness that is self-righteousness and the way the real way you can tell the difference between the two is the breastplate of self-righteousness is heavy it is crushing weight and if all of a sudden you're like, man, I'm walking this Christian faith, but I feel like it is a burden and not a blessing, I feel crushed and not uh, lifted up because of it, it is because you are probably wearing the burden and the breastplate of self-righteousness, trying to earn your way to God, trying to earn your way into doing what's right, or being, sometimes we just try to earn our way to be better than others, right? Like there's this parable where this Pharisee goes into the temple, the story that Jesus tells, and he's like, God, thank you that I'm not like that guy, right? Because I am righteous. And that other guy, the sinner, is like, God, he says he beats his chest. God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. One of them had righteousness, and one of them did not, right? And so, but when we feel crushed by the weight of being a follower of Jesus, it's probably because we're putting on the breastplate of self-righteousness. So how do we exchange the counterfeit of self-righteousness for for God's righteousness? Romans 10.3 says this, It says that they were ignorant to the righteousness of God, they being the wicked people, they were ignorant to the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted to God's righteousness. So how do we do that? We simply submit to God's righteousness. We receive it as something that we cannot earn and cannot achieve, and we stop trying to do the right thing so God will be pleased with us. And when we submit to God's righteousness, what we do is that that transforms us. You cannot receive God's righteousness and not be transformed by it. And what ends up happening is we start living our lives, yes, following God and living according to his will. But it's not because we're trying to earn anything, but we've submitted to his righteousness. And now that's just kind of how we live. Like when I got married, I lived differently than a single person. Why? Because I was married. Because I had to? No, it was like a joy for me to live as a married man versus a single man because I had chosen marriage next we have the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace I love what second Thessalonians says in 316 it says may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way our God is a God of peace And, and what is this peace the gospel of peace it's the good news gospel just means good news it's the good news of peace what's the good news of peace The good news of peace says that you were far from God, but because of Jesus now, you stand at peace with God. The gospel of peace in in Ephesians, Paul says, he says, look, you were hostile or an enemy of God. If you are not a follower of Jesus, if you not submitted yourself to him, you are an enemy of God. But because of the work of Jesus and receiving that, you are now a child of God. And so this is our God. Our God is a God of peace And so what does it look like to put the shoes of the readiness of peace wherever we go on? Well, what does that counterfeit look like first? I think the counterfeit to peace is passivity. I think it's passivity. I think it's like, man, I see tension over here. I'm just going to ignore it and walk away and just close my ears and just pretend it doesn't exist. Man, there's, there's areas in my life where I'm not experiencing peace. Maybe because it's sin in my life. Maybe it's because of, uh, of things I've done. Or maybe it's just because like, I, just, I struggle with to believe that God can really love me. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just not even going to look at that. I'm going to pay attention to that. I'm just going to stare over here. Oh, this is fun. Now I have peace in my life. It's this, this area of passivity in our lives where we just choose to ignore the problems that are. You see... Um, I believe, well, first of all, I want to read in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says something about this. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. That church, you are called to be a peacemaker. Not just to have peace, but to make peace. But I think we can get that confused sometimes. Peacemakers versus peacekeepers. Those are two different things. A peacemaker versus a peacekeeper. See, a peacekeeper can go into a situation sometimes violently, sometimes with authority, but they walk into a situation where they feel like there's no peace and they are going to, they're going to keep the peace. In other words, what is peace in this situation? man? It's a quiet house. So you, son, are going to shut up. You're going to stop talking and you, you're going to be quiet and, and you guys are going to stare at each other and you're going to say, I'm sorry to each other. Now you apologize and now we have peace, right? Like it, It's not real peace. They're just like, yeah, as soon as you leave the room, I'm going right after them again, right? But no, I'm going to, I'm going to just keep the peace right now but there's no real peace involved in the situation. We're not making peace. And see, I love what Ronald, the the deep theologian Ronald Reagan says. He says, peace is not the absence of conflict, it's the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. See, oftentimes we think of peace as just the absence of conflict and so what I do when I see conflict, man, I just walk the other way. I, I just get passive about it. I don't go and make peace in that situation. I just want to stick my head in the sand and ignore it instead of dealing with it. So how do we exchange the counterfeit of passivity for the authentic, authentic peace of the gospel? Colossians 3, verses 12, 14, and 15 says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy holy, Dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And over all virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. So what do we do? First of all, we got to put on love we got to put on love. And not love like the world thinks of love, but no, the love of Jesus. Right? What was his love? His love was a sacrificial love. Jesus says, love the way I have loved you. And what did I do? I sacrificed and I served you. See, when we put on love, all of a sudden we can become peacemakers. And where there's tension, where there's strife, we can walk in as the church. And what do we bring? We bring compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. See, that's what we're called to do, be peacemakers. And, and these shoes that we put on, we bring the gospel, the good news. And what does that cause us to do? That causes us to make peace where there is no peace. And how do we do that? First, we have to love the people that we're going to go to. We've got to love the people that we're, that we're bringing peace to. And we've got to understand that, man, God has called us to something better than just turning away and turning the other, the other way and ignoring what's going on. Right? Dad's in the room. Have you ever been there before? We're like mom's chewing out one of the kids and you're walking to the room and you're like, whoa, nope, gonna go back over here. Don't let that situation handle itself. Right? And we do that all the time though. That's not creating peace. That's just ignoring the situation and thinking, oh, now I'm in peace. Next we have the shield of faith. And, man, I love what Hebrews says. And the shield of faith, Paul says, is which is the word of God. And I love what the writer of Hebrew says, and he says, like, look, this is the Word of God. The Word of God is sharper than anything. It's able to divide soul and, and spirit, bone and marrow. Like, it's alive that the Word of God, when you read it, it is reading you back, and it is transforming you, and it is changing you into something, and it is calling you out of something and into something greater. Like, that's what the Word of God is doing. But I think the counterfeit to that is skepticism, we 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 have the shield of skepticism. And what is skepticism? Skepticism simply just means a doubt to be true. I doubt that is true. Now, there, there's a difference between like skepticism and like judging the like like the words that I'm giving you right now, like to go, I'm not sure if that was accurate. I want to go home and study the scriptures to see if that's true. That's great. That's we're called to do that. Jesus says, look, be innocent as dove, but wise as serpents, like Don't just be fooled by everything, and yet skepticism says, yeah, I just doubt that's true. I doubt that this is reality. I doubt that Jesus really said that or that Jesus really meant that. See, our faith is built to be the thing. It says, and at all times, pick up the shield of faith. See, our faith is built to be that thing that protects us from the attacks of the enemy. That our faith, what is faith? Faith is like hoping for that thing that is to come. Faith is, is hoping for that return of Jesus. See, what is to come still? What are we waiting for? What do we have faith for? We have faith that Jesus is coming back. And we have faith that when he comes back, he's bringing the kingdom of God in its fullness with him and that we will be with him forever. That is what we have faith for. We don't have faith that Jesus is going to raise from the dead because he already did that. We don't have, have to have faith that he's going to forgive us of our sins because he's already done that. The last thing that we need faith for is we need faith that Jesus is still going to come back, and we do have faith in that. In fact, Paul says, like, look, when, when Jesus comes back, when we step into eternity, it is going to be far greater than all the sufferings that we suffer today. In fact, it won't even be worth comparing. Like, don't you dare compare the things that you suffer today to the glory that's about to come to us. And that's what we have faith for, and that's what we look forward to, and that's what we have hope in. But skepticism says, I don't know if that's true. Yeah, maybe, maybe Jesus is coming back. I don't know. And skepticism says, too, like, is, was that God working in my life or not really? Like, you said that this was true and that you experienced that. I don't know if I trust that. That just seems too, I don't know, coincidental. Or, yeah, that's just you kind of being like a Jesus freak and thinking that everything is about Jesus. Like, right, we, have, we start to question the Word of God. We start to question each other. Is God really working in my life or working in your life? I remember stepping into skepticism when I was in high school. I I grew up in a house where just my parents taught me, like, man, when we pray for people, God can heal them, for real. And sometimes he doesn't, sometimes he does. But, like, my parents had seen some pretty miraculous things happen when they prayed for people to be healed. And then, I, and then when I was in high school, I had a very good friend of mine who had battled having brain tumors over and over and over again. They started in fourth grade, and then they went away, and then they came back, and then they went away. And then I just had all the faith in the world that God was going to heal her. And then when she died, skepticism entered in my heart. And I, didn't, I, didn't have, I, wasn't, I wasn't skeptical that God had the power to heal, but what happened in my brain, what happened in my mind when I'd pray for people was like, God, I know you can do this, but I doubt that you will. God, I know you can heal, but I doubt you will. God, I know you can hear me, but I doubt you're listening. And I really battled that for several years after Shelley died because it was like I had all the faith, but it didn't go the way I wanted. And so I became a skeptic. So how do we, how do we exchange the counterfeit of skepticism for God's authentic faith? Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your path. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil, and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. In all your ways acknowledge Him. In all your ways acknowledge Him. Like, how often do we acknowledge God at work in our lives? Not enough. I don't care who you are in the room, it's not enough. Scripture literally says, Jesus says, all good gifts, all good gifts come from my Father in heaven. All good gifts, all good gifts in your life. If there's anything good in your life, it is from God. But too often, we're just like, yeah, I worked really hard for that. Yeah, that was a smart financial decision by me. Yeah, like, I just, I got really lucky right there. Right, We, we do not acknowledge God enough at all. Like, and sometimes we're afraid to because we're skeptics. Was that really God? Man, I prayed for this thing and then it happened. But was that really God? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be kind of like a weirdo about this and like everything's about Jesus. But I don't think we're ever going to get into heaven and God's going to go, yeah, you know that time you gave me all that credit for this thing? That, w- that wasn't me. <laughs> you know, the, you gave me a little too much credit, in fact, on earth. No, no, no. It's going to be the very opposite of that. Like, do you, did you not see all of it was me. All of it. And so when we start, when we we start acknowledging him in all of our ways, when we acknowledge him in all our ways, what we're doing is like, God, that was you. Thank you. God, that was you. Thank you. What does that do? That, That will build our faith. And some of us are going, I haven't seen God work in my life for a very long time. No, you haven't noticed God working in your life for a very long time. God is at work every day in your life, all the time. But you're choosing not to acknowledge it because you're skeptical about it the helmet of salvation man i love what paul writes in ephesians he says in him you also when heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promise to the holy spirit our salvation is that we have been saved from our shame from the the wages of sin and death and we have been saved to something great, sealed in the Holy Spirit. But I was praying, like, man, what is the, what is the counterfeit to salvation? And um, this is where I really felt God led me, and it was the counterfeit to salvation is assumption. Listen to the words of Jesus. This, this one, this hit me. Listen to the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who was in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These people had an assumption that they were in. And the assumption came from the works that they did. We earned our way into this place, God. Jesus, we earned our way there. Because we did things in your name. We showed up to church on Super Bowl Sunday, God. Like, come on. I missed so much pregame. It started at 4 a.m. and it's still going, and I'm missing a chunk of it. Like, God, you gotta, you gotta recognize that. I did something. Right? That one time, God, like the music was playing, and did you see? I don't know if you were paying attention, God, but I raised my hand in church. Like, I'm in. Right? We, we do these things in the name of Jesus, but we do not know him. And we think, because I've done this thing, I've done these works, and it goes back to that self-righteousness. I've done these things. I've been righteous, that rich young ruler. I've done all these things since I was a kid. I'm in, right? He had this assumption that he was in. No, you're not. And it's, it's a scary thing. That counterfeit is dangerous because it looks so real. I'm a good person person. I'm a good person, so clearly I get to go be with God in heaven when I die. That's it's nothing to do with about you being a good person. And, and that assumption is it's dangerous. So how do we exchange the counterfeit assumption for God's authentic salvation? Romans 10, 9 through 11 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. I wish I could spend the next hour just talking about this right now. But here's the truth, is if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But here's, here's where this does not land on us the way it landed on the reader back then. This idea of confessing Jesus as Lord, it is not just a magic formula. It's not a magic spell. Okay, Jesus, you're Lord, and then I go live my life the way I want to live my life. See, what they understood about, like, lordship and authority was very different than we understand today. To the Jewish person, they didn't get to do what they wanted to do. They didn't get to go where they wanted to go. They were told what to do, how to do it, when to do it by the Roman government. right? Like, I think of Joseph. And they're like, hey, everyone's got to go back to your hometown. You have like a month to get there. And Joseph is like, it's like 100 miles from me. And the Roman government's like, cool, start walking. Like, you don't get to choose. They understood authority. So when we say confess that Jesus is Lord, when Paul says this, what he's saying is you are putting Jesus as Lord, giving him lordship over your life, that no longer I get to do what I want to do. I do what Jesus tells me to do. No longer I get to say what I want to say. I can only say what Jesus wants me to say. I don't get to be what I want to be. I do what Jesus tells me to do, and I live the way he tells me to live. You are now Lord of my life. I am not in charge of my life. My life does not belong to me, it belongs completely to you. That is what he's saying when you confess that Jesus is Lord, his lordship over your life. It's a better word, I think, would be like allegiance. We understand allegiance. Oh, we pledge allegiance to the flag, but do we pledge allegiance to Jesus, the first, the authority, the ultimate authority, above anything and everything? That is where salvation lies. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Next, and finally, we have the sword of the Spirit. In Hebrews, it says, like, man, the Word of God. The Word of God is able to divide soul and spirit. It's able to cut us up. And this, this Spirit, this Word that we read, it reads us. And it challenges us. And it draws us into Him. And I think the counterfeit to the sword of the Spirit is the sword of Culture. We, we The counterfeit to the word of God, I think, is the word of culture. And we look to culture and we define the way we live by what culture says. We think the way we think by what culture says. And you may be going, no, no, Josh, culture's evil. I am anti-culture. Like I go the opposite of what culture says. I'm not talking like about just all media stuff all the time. We can get in our own subcultures, can't we? We can get into subculture that we live of, of just this, the spirit of judging other people. Man, they're, they're the problem. They're the problem. They're evil. They're evil. I'm pretty good, but they're evil. They're evil, right? That's, that's not how God calls us to live. We can get in these subcultures of like, man, I'm, everything's terrible. God just, like the church is failing and, and the church is so weak today and like it's just getting, it's terrible and getting worse and like God's, where are you, God? And God's like, oh, I'm here. I'm at work. The church is not failing. It is, it is victory. Like the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But we get into this, these cultures in our mind and we go, that's, that's really where I, I, what I allow to, to change me. That's really what I allow to you know, form me is what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing in my culture. And so how do we exchange that spirit of culture for the spirit of God, the word of God? Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What do we need to do? We need to live in community. We need to live in community. Like, it gets so easy to get in our own echo chambers, and and we either isolate ourselves physically from people and we just start kind of getting to some places in our minds. And if you've ever been there, you know, by yourself in your own head is a dangerous place to be. Dangerous place to be. But sometimes we're like, oh, no, there's, I'm surrounded by people. But you've surrounded yourself with just an echo chamber of people who are just going to continue to perpetuate the things you're already believing that are not the gospel. And you're like, man, oh, just see, look at these people agree with me, and oh yeah, like it's just that man, 2024. Like I don't know if the gospel really fits with that anymore. I think there's some adjustments that need to be made. Or man, I just think like I think I can earn my way to heaven. And, And so we get in these places where we just surround ourselves with people who are not challenging us, who are not pushing us in the faith, but are just kind of agreeing with us. Man, we're supposed to admonish one another, lift up each other, admonish one another in all wisdoms. Like, I need you and you need me to challenge each other. You need a life group that you're a part of where where your life group's going, I don't know if that's the best way to be thinking right now. I think you're not seeing really what the Scriptures are saying here. Or you're believing something that's, that's against what Scripture says. And then what do we do? And then we sing worship together. And we worship our God. We do this in community. As we wrap up, we, we, we did something we do every single week, and there's action steps on your seat. they a piece of paper, and this is just a way for us to take a step forward in, in doing something, and not just hearing the word, but actually applying it to our life. What I like to say is pulling Sunday into Monday. How do I, how do I live this out tomorrow in my life? And the first one just says, um, you can check it, and it just says begin a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I did not know this about God. I thought being a Christian just meant showing up to church to please my grandma, right? Reading a couple of verses out of the Bible a year, like, okay, running. I, I thought it was just about kind of doing this thing that no one really wants to do and then somehow doing that gets me into heaven. But if, if you're hearing for the first time, understanding for the first time, if you're watching online, and hearing this for the first time, going, I had no idea it was about receiving a gift. I had no idea that God has something for me, not, not wants to take something from me, and that there's a deeper life in Christ to live. If that's you, I want to challenge you to check that box. Not that checking the box makes you a believer, but checking the box gives us the opportunity to reach out to you, to give you some information, to give you some tools in your hand, to pray with you as you begin this walk with Jesus. The rest of them just, you know, ask God to show you one counterfeit area of your life. Exchange the counterfeit for the truth. Schedule time with God. Deliberately time with God and ask him to help you live out your true identity in Christ this week. See, church, this is a battle to live out our identity in Christ. And we must do it if we're gonna find that deeper life in Christ. It begins with our identity. If you guys would, join me in prayer. Jesus, I thank you. God, we thank you that you... (laughs) you are for us, God. I love what Paul writes. He says, look, stand firm in the faith, but stand firm in the power of God. Not in your own strength, because you don't have the strength to stand firm in the faith, but everything that's been done for you. Stand firm in the faith, and God says, look, I'm gonna give you everything you need to stand firm. I'm gonna give you righteousness. Thank you, God, for your righteousness. I'm gonna give you faith. Thank you for your faith. I'm gonna give you truth. I'm gonna give you peace. I'm gonna give you the word God, help us to receive that. God, give us eyes to see where we've been choosing the counterfeit for the real and where the weak areas of our armor are and the areas that have been taking us out and causing us to believe a lie instead of the truth. Holy Spirit, empower us to know the love of Jesus. God, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.